Yeah! What a way to start the podcast. Woo! It's that time again. It's time to talk about Welcome God. back to Let's Talk About God. To all our listeners, oh god, we're glad to have you with us. So our uh, <laughs> our our fancy podcast recording equipment comes with some presets that we've not really used a whole lot, and so. we found that one. And I said, "Yeah, no, we're gonna, we're getting amped we're up today. Start the the podcast. We're talking with about that. God. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm oh like a kid gosh. with a toy." <laughs> <laughs> You're going to put a plexiglass screen right <laughs> yeah, here. I'm going to have to defend the, or I'm going to remove those. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. You, you can see, you can see me reaching over and my, my own son slapping me on the back of the hand saying, no, <laughs> no. dad, no. <laughs> like you would August. The problem is, is we don't even know, we don't even know what half of them do. It's just a surprise. Uh, it's just a game. There's got to be more than, than eight, right? Does it have like a, a rotation, like different ones. Yeah, I think you can. Like, if I plug it into my laptop, I could actually upload like unique ones. Oh, so I could either control it from my laptop, or I could load into the board whatever sounds we wanted. But come on, you gotta admit that's just awesome. It sounds like I'm beginning like a sports talk radio. Yeah, WJZY. <laughs> I hope our listeners are laughing and have as much I fun like, I, as we are. I feel bad for how much time we waste. It's <laughs> not waste. Somebody might be having a really bad day, and right now they're going like, yes, I needed this. <laughs> boy, oh, that boy. is funny. Sometimes you just have to create your own fun, you know? Listen, if anybody knows me and you, we're gonna have a good time. You oh, and I, yeah. you and I, have had fun for a long, long time. <laughs> you missed uh, it, by the way. You missed it. I did. Sometimes you got to create your own. Fun. You got to create your own fun. <laughs> oh, there it is. It's one of these. Oh, there I got it, it. Let's go. You found it. I found it. You found it. Got it. Got the old slapstick on there. <laughs> All right, so what are we talking about today? Today we are talking about creation. Now, before we even get into anything, we're just going to say this up front. This may be a one-parter or a two-parter. We don't really know. Yeah, we'll so know when come we get back there. next week for either part two or for something awesome. Yeah. Just throwing that out there. Uh, this is a pretty <laughs> broad yes, subject. We I mean, very broad. When you, when you start talking about Genesis chapter one, and really it's more than that. But I mean, if you just take Genesis chapter one, it, you're talking about so many d- directions that you could, Evan and I were talking about this, that, and because I'm an apologist by nature, which means that I, I believe in the defense of the faith and in this culture we in, we're in, boy, you have to be an apologist more than ever before. I just want to go down the apologist road. I want to talk about how you know that the, we don't believe in the big bang and the evolution and and we're in creation we believe in creationism and and god and you know I want, but and that's a road we could go down and we might touch on it but there's so much more absolutely to just talk about the creation process itself and 
And in reality, later you could do a, an entire episode on everything we talk about today. Exactly. Like each each subject. Yeah, but at least today we want to address it. We want to. We've not. We refer to Genesis one, two, and three so much. Mm-hmm. I mean, you guys have picked that up by now if you've been our listeners for a long time. That we just keep coming back to that. So we thought today, well, then let's let's just dive into that a little bit, and yeah, and explore uh, this concept. I still think this is a great idea, do, too, because creationism has been put in a drawer. Yeah, for sure. It's been put, it used to be that it was accepted that God created the heavens and the earth. Even if, if you weren't you know, deeply religious, though, it was just kind of, okay, well, that's the accepted norm, and da-da-da-da. And, and especially a lot more people went to church, a lot more people believe the Bible. Now it's flipped, and evolution is taught to every generation of students. The Big Bang Theory, there's a TV show called The Big Bang Theory. It's just accepted as as truth when it's not. Mm-hmm. So I think it's good for us today to go back to the very first thing that God gives us in his holy word and look at that to be moored or anchored once again to say this is the truth about what, why did why is it all here? Where did it all come from? That's good. I like it. Yeah. I think it's interesting, like, you know, usually when we give you a topic, what am I trying to say? Today, we really could have named the episode Genesis 1, then creation, because we're really breaking down a lot of aspects of Genesis 1, which is all about creation, but also involve things like the Trinity or things like material or things like the goodness of stuff or what do we know about God? Or I guess I'm saying we're really breaking down a chapter of the Bible than narrowly just saying, what does it mean to make stuff? Does that yeah, make sense? Right. It's theological. It, it's, it opens up so much more when we ask, what does it mean that God created the heavens and the earth? So in Genesis 1, we're introduced to God. Yes. In the beginning, God. And then we're not only introduced to God, but then we begin to learn how God operates. Mm-hmm. We hear God speak for the first time. Yeah. We see God work for the first time. God lays these tremendous foundations. You take the Sabbath, which is the seventh day of rest that is in Genesis, mm-hmm. the creation. That, that's actually, and that's actually in chapter two, isn't it? I think. No, it's on one. But, it's all it's all it's, it's all, all the creation but, accounts. But, but that that set a foundation that everybody's supposed to take a day of rest. Mm-hmm. That that's that's like a fundamental human principle. You know, I know the the Ten Commandments say remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. So God encapsulated it in a command. But we have a a, a, a prescription. You know, most things in the Bible are either descriptive or prescriptive, and I think it's more than descriptive. I think it's prescriptive because it's pretty no. clear. It says it. And we even see a picture later on in the Bible, that theme of Sabbath rest, where Christ himself is our, if you want to call it Sabbath rest, from our own works, that we actually rest in Christ from our own works and rest in his work. He is our Sabbath You rest. don't work for salvation. He does the work for you. Absolutely. You just rest in what he did. And that's, that's faith. <laughs> that's that being saved by grace through faith. So, exactly. All right, well, let's get into it. So if you want to do it, you've actually got the physical Bible in front of you. Do you just want to go and read Genesis chapter 1? Or you can read part of it. I just put, if you want to read Genesis chapter 1, however much you want to read, just to give us a picture, what's going on here? Hit the key themes. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, it's... it's uh, if it's too long, just read uh, enough of it. It's 31 verses, but I can read... Uh, we'll start. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay, a lot of people know that. 
And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and so the evening and the morning were the first day. Then God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so when God called the firmament heaven, and so the evening and the morning were the second day. Then God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let dry land appear. And it was so, and God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb, that yields seed and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth. And it was so, and the earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And so the evening and the morning were the third day. Um, let, let me read one more. And then God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night and let them be your signs, um, be for signs and seasons and for days and years and let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. Then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, that's the sun, Mm -hmm. and the lesser light to rule the night, the moon, and he made the stars also. And God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule over the day and over the night, and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and so the evening and the morning were the fourth day. So why don't we just stop right there, that's almost halfway through, Mm -hmm. and kind of tackle that for a while. Yeah, I think that would be wonderful. Um, So the first thing that I kind of placed in our notes, and and it's kind of something that you already pointed out, is we, we first get the picture of God. So we can say one thing is the Bible gives us a picture of one God. Um, There are not multiple gods. Um, it's not that in the beginning the gods created the heavens and the earth. We don't get a picture of like a Greek you know, pantheon or anything like that. There is a singular God. But I think what's so cool is now that we have New Testament revelation, we can see the triune God is the one creating the heavens and the earth. So this is a single God, a single divine nature, but he's a single divine nature with three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So typically when the Bible just talks about God in general, especially in the New Testament, it speaks of God the Father. So what do we see here? We see God the Father is the one speaking. God said. So when God creates the heavens and the earth, we mean the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But when we get into those next verses, God said, we mean the Father said. So here we have the Father speaking. And here's how I feel confident um, saying that it was just the Father speaking. It's because later in the New Testament, we realize that the Son is also called the Word. So what do we see is that it's the Father speaking, the Father sending forth, if you will, and he sends forth the Word. John 1, 1 through 5, speaking of Jesus, says this, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. 
all things were created through him and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. So what are we getting a picture from the Apostle John in John 1? That he's speaking of Jesus as the Word. The Word was with God, meaning God the Father. He is separate. He is other than God the Father, meaning he's the second person. And the Word was God, yet he is still God, the same nature. He was with God in the beginning, and all things were created through him, and apart from nothing, was not one thing was created that has been created. So now we see that Jesus is the Word who is with God, but he was God, and all things were created through him. What else do we know about Jesus? We know that Jesus is the express image of the invisible God. We know that as the Son, he is eternally begotten of the Father, so he comes from the Father eternally in a divinely mysterious way. He is a true Son, and the Father is a true Father. So here in Genesis, we even get a picture of the divine uh, relations, that the express image of the invisible God, the very communication of who God is. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father, Jesus says. The word, words communicate. When we see in Genesis that God spoke, we see Father and Son working together to create everything. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I think there's a mystery mystery element to this. And I know if I was listening to this podcast right now, I'd be going, okay, so what what is Evan actually trying to say? And and what he's saying is deeply theological. Is that on the on the most surface level is that God the Father, God the Son, God the whole. Well, there's one God in the beginning, God. Mm-hmm. But as you continue to read, the Holy Spirit comes into play. Mm-hmm. So there's and then we read John. So there was God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit were at creation. It's really important because for a lot of people, Jesus doesn't come into the picture until the Gospels. Until the and second half of the Bible, mm-hmm. so we don't really think about Jesus having anything to do with the Old Testament. What John says to us at the beginning of his gospel is, "Oh no, you got to go back to Genesis. He was there, yeah, because he's God." And that yeah. was his point: is this is not a man alone. This is the God Man. This is the Son of God. Write these things to you that you may realize, you know, that Jesus is the Son of God. So, so I think that's what Evan is saying here. Um, can I throw in a couple things here? Yeah. Um, we, you and I were talking about this yesterday. There's a word called cosmogony. Cosmogony is the branch of, of science that deals with the origin of the universe. So you can have a secular cosmogony or you can have a biblical cosmogony. And uh, am I saying that right? I don't know if it's that or if it's cosmogony. I have no clue. I think it's cosmogony because I let it, I let the, yeah, I'm sure it is because I let the Google. I tell you, tell okay. <laughs> and so th- there's a there's a thea- So it's not only a biblical cosmogony that we believe in. We believe in a theistic mm-hmm. cosmogony, and that is God. Theistic being being God. So we, we believe in the origin of the universe. Uh, th- that the origin of the universe is, is theistic. That is that that it comes from God. That's what John is saying in John one three. All things were made through Jesus. Mm-hmm. We say well, all things are made through God. That's the point. Yeah, that's the point you're saying is that. Jesus is yes. God, and he was there. I learned something interesting as I was preparing today. Um, literally, this is how John 1, 3 reads in the, in, the, in the Koine Greek. I did not know this. 
uh, everything, came, you know, where it says everything, you have it right, everything was made through him. How does it, all things were created through him. Mm-hmm. This is the literal Koine Greek. All things were made through him, uh, and without him, oh, I wrote, there was nothing made that was made. Here's literally. Everything came into being through him. Mm. And without him, not one thing came into being which has come into being. And I think that's interesting. Everything runs through Christ. Right, but it not just made or created, uh, it, it, it came into being. So when something comes into being, there, it, there's without doubt a creator. Mm-hmm. Something has to create, and it, it also means it didn't exist previously. Mm-hmm. Okay, so which will take us into a whole other direction well, a, little a little bit. But, but the point is, Jesus, God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, God, this, this Holy Trinity— is the absolute origin of everything. Everything came into mm-hmm. being, into existence, because of God. That's that's wonderful. It's pretty. I thought that was pretty great to tie in as what you were saying with Jesus. So here we've got. Let's wrap up the Trinity. So here we've got the Father, and He speaks His divine will, His divine communication, His expression. The expression of God the Father's will is Christ, and we actually see that in His earthly ministry. If you've seen me. You've seen God. If you know, I, I only speak what my Father in heaven tells me to, right? That's what words do. They communicate will and intent and expression. Jesus is the express image of the invisible God. But then we have the Spirit. The Bible says that the Spirit was hovering over the face of the deep. Right. So if you want to know something, the Trinity never acts alone. What or, excuse me, persons of the Trinity have never act alone. So there's never a moment the Father's doing something that the Son and the Spirit aren't. And so typically that, how— That's really powerful, by the way. If absolutely. you're listening right now, Evan just said something incredibly powerful, that you can't divide yes. the Godhead. Ever. Ever. Okay, go on. That's really deep, though. So as we see the Trinity work, it usually works like this. Everything is from the Father, through the Son, and by the Holy Spirit. Right. So think about this. Think about Jesus' incarnation. He's from the Father, right? God sent his only begotten Son through the Son. So the Son is sent, right? Salvation is through the Son, or the incarnation, you could even say, is through the Son. But how? By the Holy Spirit. He was uh, conceived by the Holy Ghost and born of the Virgin Mary, as the Creed says. So even Jesus' incarnation is a triune work. Sent from the Father, the Son is sent, by the Holy Spirit. Empowered by the Holy Spirit. Empowered by the Holy Spirit as well, but yeah. even his incarnation. Yeah, everything he does, we we know that uh, he offered himself up to the Father, but the author of Hebrews says that he offered himself up through the eternal Spirit. He was wrecked and, res- and resurrected from the dead by, by the, the Father and by the Spirit. Yeah, the yeah. same Spirit that raised Jesus so quick and your, gave life to Jesus, give life to your mortal body, the Bible it, says. Exactly. And Jesus even says he's involved in it. I, I lay my life down and I can pick it up. So, But my point in saying is this, is now we see the Spirit. So now the Father has spoken his word, but now there is this active agent, this life-giving agent hovering over the waters. And so we get this picture that God has made the heavens and the earth, but it says that it's formless and without void. You mentioned it to me yesterday in the car two days ago, uh, that it's almost as if God made this this clay, right? He's the potter, and he made this f- you know, formless void as the clay, and he begins to shape 
things out of that. Well, as he speaks, the Father speaks the Word, the Son, the Spirit begins to give life, and it must bring it out of the deep. Bringing order. I've always said he brought order, order out, out of, of chaos. chaos. He brings life beauty out of, out of uh, Life out of death, a beauty out of the ugliness. And isn't this what the Spirit does? And don't we see this picture throughout all of the Old and the New Testament, that the Spirit is the one, you know, the the Lord wipes away all the ugliness and the sin from the earth in the flood with Noah. But then what happens? A dove comes down bearing an olive branch, which is a sign of peace. And then Noah is freed, right? He walks out of the ark as a second Adam. He's new life. Well, we see that picture in Jesus's own baptism. He's baptized in the Jordan. And what happens this is my beloved son and who I'm well pleased. And a dove comes down. Well, the spirit comes down like a dove. Yeah, like a dove, like obviously. A dove, yeah. it's, the, it's the same theme. It's the, right. the spirit coming down to give empowerment and life. It's yes. you know, the, the spirit hovering over as a cloud and as a fire, leading God's people through the Exodus. It's, you know, we, we can keep going and going. We we get this picture of the the washing of water with the word or Paul says the washing of regeneration. There's a way in which the Spirit is always bringing life out of death, and we even see that here in the beginning. I've heard him, and this is always respectfully, called the executor Mm -hmm. of the Godhead. Have you heard that? Maybe once or twice. Yeah, the executor, which means he's executing, he's putting into motion. Mm -hmm. You know, God speaks, the Son is the Word, he's involved in it, and then the Holy Spirit makes it happen. It's pretty incredible that we just see that just from the very beginning. And this is exactly what God's done is in salvation. The Father has sent the Son by the Holy Spirit. And it's even reverse for us that Christians, when you receive the Holy Spirit, it's by the Holy Spirit that you've now received the Son and you have a reconciled relationship with the Father through the sun. And this is through, and we just got that out of the first two verses and we haven't even hammered them yet. I, I, oh no, that's great. Um, I, there's some things that um, that I want to throw out here that I thought was cool. I, there's a guy named Warren Wearsby. He died. Uh-huh. And Warren Wearsby had some really creative commentaries and notes. He was a really creative guy. Don't agree with everything that he had. But I always want to see, I want to see what Warren Wearsby had to say. And he took that phrase, in the beginning, God. And I thought this was interesting. Now, obviously, we're coming at this from the point of view that if you're born again, uh, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you believe the Bible, um, that, that that obviously you're going to... Now, somebody who doesn't believe the Bible say, well, I you know, I don't agree with what you're saying. But this is coming from the, our, our viewpoint. Mm-hmm. This is from our viewpoint. In the beginning, God refutes the atheists who say there is no God, the agnostics who claim we cannot know God, the polytheists who worship many gods, the pantheist who say that all nature is God, the materialist who claims that matter is eternal and not created, and the fatalist who teaches that there is no divine plan behind creation in history. That's good. Just in those four words, in the beginning, God. I, I thought that was, I like that. Absolutely. I mean, I think you just kind of transitioned us. I wish you to save that quote for t- three more minutes. Let's let's hit creation ex nihilo, because I think that's perfect. All right, let's go. <laughs> Tell me what does that mean? What do we mean when we say um, that everything was created ex nihilo? Uh, I guess it's Latin, if I remember, and it means out of nothing, mm-hmm. from nothing. So what does that mean, and what implications does that have for it, us? It means then that when God created the heavens and the earth, all that we understand as material universe, the cosmos, mm-hmm. none of it existed. There was nothing here. 
nothing. And out of nothing, rather than having pre-existing material, God created it out of nothing. Mm-hmm. He said, let there be, and boom, it materialized. That's what's something that only a divine being could do. That's pretty incredible. So some things, some thoughts that I had that God is eternal. He is preexistent before all matter. He has always been, always will be, and he creates everything, heavens and earth, everything. So he's the only eternal God. He's the Lord, the creator, the author, and the rightful ruler over all things. So what I mean is like if somebody invents something, if they create something, they can do with it whatever they want, and they can demand of it whatever they want to demand. They're the rightful owner. That's true in life. They get to set the rules. Anybody who owns anything knows your car, Uh your dishwasher, your house, your pair of shoes. If you want to run them through the mud, you buy a brand new pair of shoes and you want to go mudding in them. It's yours. It's yours. If you invent something, if you invent a, a type of, I don't know, like watch or or invent a computer program, you could go that route. Let's say I invent a computer program. I get to decide how it works, and the program doesn't get to reject me, right? I set the standard for how things are. So in the same way, um, humanity is not free from the divine rulership and authority of God but we are his creation. He gets to set the set the standard. He rules over us. We are not separate from him, but we are rightfully so subject to him, as the world even tells us. And this is incredibly powerful, so poignant, and the world obviously doesn't believe this and rejects it unless they were deemed, but we need to understand that, that everything is God's property. Yeah. Everything is God's property, and we are accountable to him, mm-hmm. and he can do with us as he pleases. To, to do or say otherwise means that you must go in total rebellion against God. Against your creator. Against your creator, the guy who made you. And who, and not even in a sense, who really owns you. Who exactly. Owns you. You're God's property. Yeah. And so, obviously, that's why redemption is such a big issue in salvation, is you are, you are in the slave market of sin. You are the property of sin and death because of sin. But God said, you were mine. I want to redeem you and buy you back. I want to get you back. Through the blood of his own through son. Through the blood of his son, by the Holy Spirit. I want to get you back. Uh, and so if you guys are knows, y'all know, we're, we're going to ping pong match back and forth between creation and salvation because they they correlate mm-hmm. so well. Yeah. And that what God does in the creating of the earth is what he does in, in the creating of us. Um, so, so I know you put in your, in your notes, I love this. Humans are not preexistent. <laughs> yeah. The humans aren't, the universe isn't, human souls aren't preexistent. You know, I, I said, there's no other gods. God is overall through all and in all the divine creator of all. He is over everything. N- no one can be beside him. I mean, he has all majesty, glory, honor, praise, worship, adoration, you name it goes to him. And then that also kind of rails against, here's that the, the apologetics of the idea of like a, a preexistent matter. Because um, if you were going to, uh, for instance, advocate something like the Big Bang, there has to be some sort of preexistent matter, right? Something that yeah. has always existed um, because something can't come out of nothing. Right. Um, unless you're God making something out of nothing. Uh, but scientifically, it can't. Right, so when we say that nothing else existed, 
that rules out any possibility of like a purely material or purely naturalist way of the world of seeing the world. Yeah, exactly. And, um, um, I, I, I think, you know, we touch on this where, um, you know, say, well, God created anything, you know, everything out of nothing. How can he do that? It, well, that's because our finite minds can't understand that. It's, mm-hmm. it's kind of like I'm trying to understand that God has always existed. Well, he's got to have a beginning. No, he doesn't because he's a divine being. That's what makes, if he had a beginning, he wouldn't be a divine being. Mm-hmm. And so everything has a cause and effect. And so, you know, there's got to be a cause. Well, no, he's the uncaused cause. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's what he is. He's the uncaused cause. Nobody caused him. The but unmoved he, mover. The unmoved mover. Um, the unshakable shaker. We can just keep <laughs> going down that route. That, he shakes and moves. <laughs> but, but he is, he's got, and so that, and and then you go to what you touched on, and the apologist is wanting to just just scream and you know come out, come out. <laughs> but it, it takes more faith to believe that that the universe is eternal than God, mm-hmm. and that's yet what we've done with humanism and, and scientific approaches today that remove the God factor. Is that we since we remove the God factor, we have to now create or manufacture explanations that are uh, that are uh, now extra biblical or outside mm-hmm. of the biblical parameters. We don't, we don't believe that. So, uh, and so we have to make up these, these, these theories, these answers. And it's amazing how creative, very, very brilliant people with PhDs come up with these answers <clears throat> and they're just creative manufactured myths. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. And and then they're trying to prove them and they can't, and they're scrambling. And a lot of times they end up disproving themselves or somebody else disproving because that's what happens in science. But it, it takes more faith because uh, people say, well, it's a whole lot easier to believe, you know, science than the Bible. Oh, really? So you you can you're going to have the same kind of faith that says well, we believe in an eternal God. You're going to believe in an eternal cosmos, where we believe in a God who has supernatural creative powers that which would be the course for an, a divine being. You're going to believe that there was a big bang that occurred for what reason? <laughs> and then you're going to believe that when you set off a firecracker or explode dynamite. That when you the smoke clears, you have a brand new uh, Tesla sitting in front of you that works perfectly. Does that ever happen? No. Good things don't come out of explosions. But again, it takes a lot more faith to believe uh, in, in science uh, than it does to believe that, that, that there's a divine being who put all this in motion uh, and created perfectly. Something else that I was thinking about it is we we're using the term creator, and that's the point. It's not random, but the universe was designed. So everything was built and designed like someone builds and designs a watch or a machine or like an artist, uh, you don't want to say build, but maybe perfectly paints, intentionally paints a picture or something like that. I think what that has to, I think the point there is that when we look at nature, we look at a divine design which reflects the the glory and the attributes of our creator. So think about, you know, if you've uh if you have a favorite artist and you look at a piece of art, oftentimes, you know, the piece of art may not be an exact picture of their face, but you can say, man, this has got this has got Picasso's touch all over. Mm-hmm. You know, like you kind of you learn who they are, or maybe they inter you know, interweave certain themes throughout their paintings or you know, whatever. Well, you, Van Gogh would use the the yellow exactly, light. Exactly. Yeah. 
but he his paintings express the glory of God. Those that yellow light always meant the glory of God. That's neat. Yeah, like if you ever look, one of his most famous paintings is of a village, mm-hmm. and the church is dark. Yeah, but all the little houses in the village have the golden yellow light. And his point was, he lived in this village, and it was a it was a representation how the church had grown cold and spiritually lifeless. And he found more of God and spirituality in the in the homes of these peasants than he did in the church. That's crazy. Yeah, which which kind of leads me to <clears throat> excuse me. What you and I talked about as we were preparing for this. Um, I read a book one time. We were talking about that. That it was a great book, academic book that was written that was showing that that art and science has its foundation primarily in the church. It, it was and and there was a presupposition. The presupposition was that God existed, and the presupposition was that art's purpose was to express the glory of God. Mm -hmm. Science's purpose was to discover the glory of God. So it was assumed that God was the designer in science, what you said. So God created this world. I need to discover why is a flower the way it is? What are all the parts? How does it work? What is the process? Then there was biology and and the flora and the fauna and, and all these fields that developed why do the stars in heaven, why Why is there this pattern? Why does the sun go around the earth? And why does the earth rotate? Why does, what is happening here? And what, what they would do is in science, they would discover. And when they this, they discovered, the, the, the concept was, look what God did. Mm-hmm. But they would, they would make all these tremendous scientific discoveries. Mm-hmm. But there was always the understanding God did this. And then we, and then the enlightenment came and we removed God from the equation and we said, okay, nature did this. And so now we need to come up with these answers. And so I repeat myself. Now we have to come up with answers since we removed God. How did, how did this get here? Why does it work this way? So then you get into evolution and macroevolution and microevolution. And I believe in microevolution. I don't believe in macroevolution. Yeah. Uh, and so you, you get in, into that whole, that whole sphere. And then art was the same way. Art, like Van Gogh, art expressed the glory of God. You know, now today you have some of the most stupid, base, inane things that people create in the name of art, uh, and then it carried over into television and movies um, that that are now so crude and carnal and sexual and base, and, and there's no glory to God. Mm-hmm. It's just we removed God completely from the picture. Uh, creation takes us back. That's what this does. Genesis 1 gets us back and says, reminds us that if you remove God, you, you know what you're doing? You're making the earth ugly and, and without form and meaningless all over again. Mm. You're taking creation and making it all meaningless again. Mm. That's good. <laughs> yeah. That's really good. Getting rid of the order. Um, something that I put here, so something else that we see is the goodness of creation. Um, listeners, I don't know if you picked it up when, when dad read that, but after every day, God would look at his creation and say that it was good. And uh, fun fact, when he gets done with all of it, he looks at it and says that it's very, very good. good. <laughs> so, which is kind of funny once he's, once he's complete, he's like, all right, now it's very good. I've, well, I've done my work. Well, can I throw in something here that, that yeah. you can keep going? Yeah. So, you know, we talked about God, the father, God, the son. God. I wrote in my notes that there is an order of creation and it's amazing how you tied in God to it. And so 
I want to say this because uh-huh. then it goes to what you're saying. There, there's a divine will, mm-hmm. which was the Father. There was the, the, the command, which, which is the spoken word of God, which correlates to the Logos, the Son. Mm-hmm. And then there was the execution of the command, which we say was the Holy Spirit. And then there was a result of the command, which is where you're at right now. There was a good creation. Goodness of creation. That's so really good. There's an order. Every day you see the same order every mm-hmm. day. Which is what he does with us in salvation. <laughs> see, I told you. Um, so God repeatedly states that um, everything he creates is good. We know that it's very good. And God created everything in the sense of com- perfect, in the sense of like completeness or maturity. There was no corruption. That it, everything was exactly how God wanted it to be. There is uh, no sense in which creation departed from his will or for his good standard. And I think we could even say creation was perfect in the sense that it was perfect for its, not only in and of itself, but for the rest of creation. Um, so there's no thorns in the ground. So a curse of sin is that Adam's going to work, but there's going to be thorns in the ground. No briar patches. No briar patches. Nothing wrong with nature itself. I was in the woods the other day. I had to go do something with my deer stand. I wore my one of my good pair of jeans. And I caught a briar, one of those big briars, mm. and it literally ripped like that much in my like three or four inches. Of my, I had to throw them away. It just, just ripped them. Annoying. I mean, just yeah. Come on, Adam. I hate briars. But yeah, and I think we could probably extend from that. There were no tornadoes or tsunamis. There was nothing about nature that rebelled against God Hurricanes. and caused death and destruction or no, frustration. No COVID nineteen. Exactly. There's um no poisonous animals. So there's animals aren't eating each other. We're not eating the animals as far as we know. Uh, there's not like a poisonous, venomous snake that's going to latch on to you. Apparently, the spider monkey knows where your artery is, and he goes for that first and kills you. And that wasn't there. We learned about that in Roatan or Panama or something. The spider monkey? Yeah, they had to keep... We went to this like monkey zoo thing, and they kept him in a cage, and like we couldn't go in there. And we were like, why? And they said they know where your artery is, and they'll bite it and kill you. Uh, humans Damn. are morally good. So um, they, the humans have perfect righteousness, original righteousness. Um, they do not rebel against God. Um, they have eternal life, so their bodies aren't corrupt. There is no COVID-19. There's no death. There's no sickness. There's no aching back or broken bones or um, uh, uh, depression or anything like that. Um, nothing was corrupt, but everything was beautiful and everything was to the glory of God and to the good of his creation. So I think that has a few implications. So one thing I said is that this means that the material world is good. Matter matters. God loves stuff because he created it. I think, and you and I were discussing this the other day and, and, and we can get to that in a second. Um, but I think oftentimes we approach spirituality in a way in which material is bad, spiritual good. And we, we put a strong divorce between those. And so when we often speak even of eternal life, we said, man, I, I can't wait to go to heaven, which is where our souls are. We don't jump to, well, my resurrected body in the new heavens and the new earth. We, um, we kind of seem to divide spirituality. But when God makes material... He says that it's good. He God doesn't want to get rid of physical stuff. He wants to redeem physical things. And I even wrote down that um, physical things are so good that God became a man. <laughs> he robed himself in flesh, stepped into this world. A lot of Jesus' miracles had to do with physical things. He was 
baptized. He uh, spit on the ground and rubbed this loogie dirt thing in this guy's eyes. That's just too graphic. I know. That's just way too graphic. (laughs) You know, like he. All of these different things, he turns water into wine. Like he's interacting with it. So what I said is that even in our own spirituality, I think the physical is good. And so I started to think about um, like even our spirituality, which I think is is uh, more physical than we get it, give credit for. For instance, uh, something Pentecostals are very comfortable with is we use the laying on of hands often. We don't really think of that, but that's very physical and spiritual united together. Mm-hmm. Like when we lay hands on someone and pray for healing or pray for deliverance or just pray for peace and comfort, there's a real sense in, we, in which we think God's going to work through me. Absolutely. Something we do is we anoint with oil. And I tend to think that when we anoint with oil, it's not empty. But if God so chooses, he works through those means to do something divine and spiritual. Right. I was thinking about the last time we ordained, I can't remember if it was elders or deacons, you actually made it a point from the stage. You said, when we lay hands on these folks, I don't believe that just nothing happens. But when we lay hands on them and install them, the Holy Spirit comes down and anoints them for this. Yeah, I and, do believe that. And I, you know, I just kind of began thinking, man, how important is something material and physical in our very worship of God? We, we're people, we lift our hands or we jump up and down or maybe we spontaneously get down on our knees or... Um, I don't know. You could we just go on and on or play instruments. The, ma- yeah. the material world is not antithetical to spirituality, but humans are body and soul made for a physical and spiritual world eternally paired together. And so the way that we worship the incarnate God is in body and soul because creation is good. I think the danger that has been around for a long, long time, probably extent of humanity's existence is that we turn, we worship the creation rather than the creator. Mm -hmm. And we value the creation more than the creator. And in our materialistic Western civilization, our American American culture, we're the worst. Mm -hmm. We want cars and motorcycles and houses and property and money. We want things. We want that stuff. And then we want a little dab of God to do us, a little sprinkling of religion on Sunday morning, make everything right. Mm-hmm. And go read the book of Ecclesiastes and the guy who had everything, who was Elon Musk or, or Bill Gates and had all the money in the world, they'll tell you when you have everything, it's not enough. Yeah, They'll tell you that that it doesn't satisfy because you have taken the lesser and made it greater than the, than the superior, which is God. And that's why when Solomon gets to the end of Ecclesiastes and he's done everything and experienced everything and owned everything, he said, here's the end of the matter. Fear God, keep his commandments. Remember the end of the matter. Yeah, the end of the matter. There you go. That was good. Uh, And he said, remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. You know, don't put it off. Mm -hmm. Don't don't spend your whole life chasing a, 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 a husband, a wife, kids, a family, a career, education, all these things. If I can just get all this stuff, you know, and then I, when I get towards the end of my life, then I'll throw God in there. It's just like, no, you serve God and make God first. And then it sanctifies or it gives a proper perspective that you realize God created all this. The reason I have a job is God gave it to me. The reason I have this spouse, God gave her to me. The reason I have my kids, this is a gift from God. The reason that I have my career is because God opened this door for me. And, and so that's why, again, first God, then creation. That's a great principle to carry into, into how you, 
you'll, you, you'll do a whole lot better in life. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And when you lose something, it won't be that big a deal. People get bent out of shape. It's like, it's just a thing. Yeah. Have you ever seen where somebody had a car wreck, like their teenager had a car wreck and then the parent came up and they're screaming, what about my car? Look, you tore up our car. You know, and it's, and I've had, I've, I've heard the stories. These are true stories where somebody else is standing there and grab them and say, you need to stop your kids, your alive. kids alive. Yeah. Okay. Just go over there and hug them and tell them you're, you're missing this, but, but it's because they put the creation mm. that over something that mattered a whole lot more, which is her child. So, uh, yeah, I think I think cre- just again, such a simple thought. The creation story says just make sure you put the creator before mm-hmm. the creation, and know that if you have any creation, it is good. God made it. Just don't forget that God made it. God gave it to you. every good gift and every perfect gift comes from the Father of lights, in whom there's a variation or shadow of turning. That's good. Um, I've got a couple more thoughts and then we can move on. One thing I said is that we should use the world and we should use it responsibly. So tell me what you think about this. I think as a Christian, knowing that God created the world and created it good, we should be both eco-friendly and also eco-users. What I mean is that we should not go to any extreme. We shouldn't treat God's world with contempt where we blatantly misuse it, abuse it, destroy it, are selfish with it, blah, 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 blah. But we also shouldn't look at the world as if it's God himself and not used for a purpose, and we never use materials and never use them for good. And So here's what I mean. We probably shouldn't go uh, causing animals to be extinct or wiping out, uh, I don't know, entire forest or filling the ocean with oil and, like, being irresponsible but at the same time, we should be free to use the materials of the world for our good to create equipment and goods and homes and cities and societies for the good of our neighbor. Does it, that make sense? It, it makes perfect sense. You know I'm a deer hunter. Mm-hmm. Okay? This is exactly what I thought of. Yeah, and, and and a guy named John Browning, and if you own a Browning rifle or shotgun, I own, I own a Browning shotgun. Uh-huh. John Browning was one of the greatest gun inventors, inventors in, in, in history. Mm-hmm. Um, and and uh, Remington and and uh, Winchester especially not Remington Winchester had his patents and built all these guns based on what he built. He designed these rifles that were repeating rifles that could shoot. What happened was end of the eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds, the average guy could get a hunting rifle that held multiple shells. You could shoot. What happened is we guys started deer hunting. They wiped out the deer populations. Mm. We we literally wiped out the, the white-tailed deer population in the United States of America. So all of you people who say, "Well, I live in an area where there's just deer everywhere," and I say, "Used to be there weren't any deer, and they had to." A guy like Teddy Roosevelt, Teddy Roosevelt was a great conservationist. They they had to put laws and seasons and say, "If we don't control you people, you you'll just destroy you'll everything. Just, you destroy everything." And there's something about us that at times we're incredibly irresponsible. Yeah. And, and so, and I've known guys that, you know, you're supposed to kill in South Carolina, you can kill 10 deer a season, mm-hmm. which is a lot. It we is have a lot. lot of deer. I've, I've heard guys brag and it's not a whole lot. I killed 30 deer this year. I'm like, well, first of all, you broke the law. Yeah. And second of all, what did you do with all those? You know, are you killing them because of your ego? Are you killing them because you're trying to be macho and you're trying to compete with some other guy in your club? What'd you do with all that? You know, you should eat that meat. You should you should have it processed. That's kind of the number one principle. You don't go mow down a bunch of animals and leave with their bodies on the ground. You always use that for food. Don't kill anything you'll never use well, for someone. Well, you know, I remember when I took you dove hunting, and then we killed like 120 doves, whatever it was. It was a big big group of us. 
Uh, and when you're done and you're having the fun of the hunt, then we had to stand around and we had to clean those birds. <laughs> this is a great time. And I, and I remember you were standing there going like, uh-uh. And I said, oh, yes, you are. And you remember what I told you? I said, if you shoot them, yeah, you, clean, you them. clean them. Yeah. I said, you don't just shoot stuff to shoot it. We and clean it. it and we're going to eat it. And you can use it for other people. It's a good way to love your neighbor. I remember uh, on a few occasions you catching a bunch of fish. And you didn't want them, but you gave them to someone you knew would eat them. Oh, yeah. I, I think that's a wonderful way to serve your neighbor is – Here's some food, like but, literally. But the point is, you're, I totally agree with you. I think we should be eco-friendly as well as eco-users. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't like the extremists where you where can't touch anything, you can't hunt, you can't cut down trees. It's, it's just a matter of being responsible. That's exactly it's what It's treating it is. God's creation with incredible respect and, and being a good steward. That's mm-hmm. a word that we're not using here, but being a good steward of what God has given us, um, th- that... Then, then the next generation can enjoy it. And the next generation, and some, so many, so many times we're so selfish and we don't think about the next generation. The mm-hmm. next generation. Something else I thought about the goodness of creation of the material world is how humans think of themselves, and I think this is particularly relevant today. What I mean is that humans, to be a human, is to be body and soul. It is to be spirit, which is immaterial, but it is to be body, which is material. Um, when Christ comes back, he is not coming back only for souls. He's coming back um, to resurrect us, to resurrect the entire world. The living and the dead are going to be caught up with him. We will all have bodies. Um, that's what it means to be a human. And material is not antithetical to what it means to be human. Material is good, and it it's what it is to be human. What I mean to say is that our bodies inform who we are, but in today's society, we have, um, there's an ancient heresy called Gnosticism. We have a bit of a um, Gnostic tendency where we think that the internal, how we feel on the inside, how we think on the inside, is somehow different than our external, who we are on the outside. And so we don't allow our bodies to inform who we are. This plays out. Um, uh, most commonly in two ways, uh, through the propagation of um, acceptance of homosexuality and through transgenderism. So what I mean to say is creation is good and our bodies inform who we are. So we should be able to look at our bodies, um, look at our sexual organs, and say God's design for sexual activity is in a certain way. My body, my material, who I am which is good informs who I am, not my desires on the inside. At the same time, as we deal with transgenderism, we should say my body, my sexual organs, and the other things that make me unique um, are not separate from what I feel on the inside, but my body actually informs who I am. So I don't say, well, on the inside, I feel like a girl, even though I'm a boy, so I must be a girl. We don't give predominance to what's inside. We look at our body, which is made good, which is what it means to be human. And we say, my body will inform my inside, my soul, my desires on who I actually am. Does that make sense? Oh yeah. You're, you're, that's the problem is you're being logical now. You're not going by feelings. See, you're you're, you're (laughs) being a, you're being an intellectual logical person rather than the psychological person and going by your feelings. Exactly. Because the whole, you and I've talked about this, the whole, the whole transgender uh, issue right now is because how I go by my feelings I feel like I'm a man trapped in a woman's body or vice versa. Well, you know, facts don't care about feelings. Uh, you, you go by the facts. 
And the, the facts fall back on creation. How am I created? And I, I think the great lie of transgenderism is that it's a distortion of, and it's a distortion and a disruption and a corruption of the creation of God. Mm-hmm. Which is made good. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Right. And so that that's, and again, this this concept that if I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, then then it brings me back to say that I am who I am because God made me, mm-hmm. rather than I want to become something else. And my body is good. My physical is good. We're not pitting the two against one another. But my soul and my body are made for one another. I'm not a soul trapped in a body that has to make it conform to me. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's a great verse in the Bible. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20. Again, it's talking to people who are saved. But but right, let me go back to verse 17. It, this is really cool. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Mm-hmm. So when you're saved, your spirit you actually unites with the Lord's spirit, with the Holy Spirit. There's a spiritual union. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Boy, that's a whole episode. Mm-hmm. Or do you not know that your body, there you go, the created material being, is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own, for you were bought at a price. This is really powerful. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So does it matter how what I do with my body? Does it matter how I steward my body? Does it matter how I look with my body? Yes, because there is a connection with your spirit and your body. And I think, and he goes on to talk about sexual relations with prostitutes, that my body, right, is now spiritually joined to the body of Christ, and I would never unite Christ with a prostitute. So now I'm carrying around Christ spiritually, mystically, really, and now my body can connect Christ's mystical body to the physical body of a prostitute. <laughs> right, and that's what he's saying. I mean, that is some deep stuff right. about the connection between material and spiritual. Right, and that's why, you know, and this sounds in our in our sexual-free culture that we have, we're sounding like a bunch of couple of nuts. No, uh-huh. we're not. We're actually the most sane people in the room. Is That's why premarital sex is wrong. That's why you as a student pastor are trying to tell Teenagers don't have premarital sex. That's why you tell young adults don't have premarital sex. That's why I tell young adults don't move in together. I know it's mm-hmm. the cultural thing to do, but you don't move in together. I mean, get married if you're going to do it. The, the, the marriage bed is honorable. Uh, so, so if you're going to if you're going to do this, do it God's way. Mm-hmm. You know, God God created this body. There are some things that you can and can't do, and if you violate these certain laws. Then you're going to have STDs. If you if you violate certain laws, you're going to you're you know with homosexuality, you're going to end up having AIDS. Um, but if you do it God's way, then it's beautiful. Absolutely. I'm looking at our time here. Would you like to break this into a second episode? Does that sound good based on the notes we have left? Sounds good to me. All right, we're going to go and end this one here, and we're going to come back with a part two on creation. we got three more points left that I, that I think are going to be really, really good. We hope that you've enjoyed today's episode. Send this to somebody who needs it, and we will catch you back in a couple of weeks with part two on creation. See you then. 